Amen. Thanks, guys. Uh, please open up your Bibles to Galatians chapter 5. Tonight, uh, we're going to go ahead and continue on going through the New Testament as we have been, looking at arguments Paul or other New Testament writers in the first century were making with big issues that were happening in the first century. And so tonight, uh, what we're going to talk about is uh, two things, really. We're going to talk about listening to other people rather than Christ and legalism. You know, in the book or in the reading we had from Exodus, Many of us know the story uh, of the Exodus, but we have Aaron, the high priest, waiting for Moses to come down from the mountain. Moses is up on the mountain communing with God, getting the Ten Commandments and all these wonderful things. And because they had come from Egypt and because all the gods there had a physical representation, they go to Mo Aaron and say, hey, let's make one of those things. And Aaron, not really knowing any better and kind of afraid of what the people might do if he didn't listen, says, yeah, that's a good idea, let's do that. But as we know, and, and, and from the end of the reading, we see that it probably wasn't a great idea. Moses was so angry, he drops the tablets. It's like, what are you doing? They claim ignorance, but ultimately they're still responsible. And so what we want to talk about tonight is, is what Paul talks about in Galatians that relates to much of these same things. You know, last week we talked about relationships, how to live together equally yoked. And tonight, one of the things we're going to address is sort of how do we move forward in that and how do we use discernment in our lives? How do we judge what is good for us? And, and one of the coolest things about this is that we are on a very special Sunday. Um, I don't know how many of you are aware that there is, uh, the reason I say this is because I actually didn't know this until I went to seminary. Um, there is a church liturgical calendar, and, and they have all these special days set out and everything. And, and if you grew up in a traditional church, you're aware of what I'm talking about. I grew up in an evangelical church that didn't have any church calendar. Today is called Christ the King Sunday. And what it basically is for is to get us ready for Advent, to worship Christ as the King, who he is, so that as we go into the Advent season, we spend time joyfully preparing for the coming of the Lord. And, and so that's what I want, and that's where we're going. We're going to talk about Christ the King, and we're going to talk about who has actually called you. Who is the one who has called you, and how do we discern between voices in life when we don't know who to listen to? And so I would invite you, please, to read Galatians chapter 5 with me. We're going to read the first 15 verses of chapter 5. So it's a bit of a longer reading, but I'm, I'm confident that you can make it through. So please uh, either read along with me on the screen, in your Bible, however you feel uh, most comfortable. Paul writes this to the church in Galatia. He says, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Mark my words, I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated to obey the whole law. You are trying to be justified by the law, or sorry, excuse me, you who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. 
you have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit we eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. You were running a good race. Who cut in on you to keep you from obeying the truth? That kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. A little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. I am confident in the Lord that you will take no other view. The one who is throwing you into confusion, whoever that may be, will have to pay the penalty. Brothers and sisters, if I am still preaching circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been abolished. And as for those agitators, I wish they would go the whole way and emasculate themselves. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge in the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. This too is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So, we got a big passage here, and we're just going to jump into it. In verse 1, Paul says, yet again, we have this, this theme that's come up over and over again the last couple of weeks. Freedom! That we are no longer slaves. And it comes up a lot. It comes up a lot in the New Testament. It's maybe one of the biggest themes of the New Testament along with unity in Christ crucified. We are sin or we are free from our pasts. We are free from the sin and the pride and the pain and the idolatry that comes up week after week. And and I I don't want to dwell on this too much because we've talked about it, but I just want you to hear it again. You are free. Because of Christ we are free. This is the foundation of all we do here. This is the foundation of these songs. This is the foundation of reading this book. This is the foundation of praying for Muslims who are being persecuted because they too can find freedom in Christ. And so the Apostle Paul goes on to say in verse 2, Mark my words, church. In In the ESV version that I read in my devotionals, he just says, look. That's how they translate it. Look, just, just, just hear me real quick. It is for freedom that we've all been set free. So just listen to me. If people are pressuring you, if, if, if someone is telling you you have to do these certain things to measure up to God, they are wrong. See, and in the first century, this made a lot of sense because early Christians were considered a Jewish sect, Right? They're just, I mean, to be fair, Jesus was a Jew. I mean, Paul was a Jew. All of these people had followed the law their whole life. And people treated them as, as just this new wave of Judaism. And so what was happening was Gentiles, those who did not grow up Jewish and, and who were not ethnically Jewish, were coming to the church and, and hearing about Jesus and being saved. But then as we know, the Jewish leaders and those who had the theological background and had studied the Old Testament were telling them, well, yeah, Jesus is good, but let me tell you about all these other things you need to be doing. Let me tell you about all these other rules we have if you want to come and be here, if you want to come and be a Christian. But as we know, Jesus came not to abolish the law, but to fulfill it and to create a new covenant for us. As we talked about back when we were studying Joshua, if you remember about circumcision, that the, the new 
thing that God sort of instituted just as an outward sign of unity in the church is baptism. That he gave us baptism that we can go and say in front of a crowd that this is who I am, that I have chosen to align myself with God. And he goes on then in verse 3 and 4 and says, So then, if you who were saved by grace, if at one point you said, yes, Jesus, I'm on your team, I get it, I am saved by grace and I love you, If you go then and turn to the law or turn to legalism, you've fallen away from the grace that you accepted. If you who met and fell in love with Jesus turn to the law, you're no longer relying on the cross but yourself, but your own actions, but your own accomplishments. You're relying on your own works and your own righteousness. And even if if in your mind you don't really... It's kind of hard to think. Do you think, no, I still rely on Jesus, but I just have to do these three things. I just have to live this certain way. It's almost like you're doing it without even realizing it. You know, the, the easiest analogy I think of when I think of this is, is you, you're on a boat that is sinking like the Titanic. Someone has offered you a life raft and has said, I want you to be safe. I want you to, be, I want you to survive and I want you to be safe from this tragedy. And you just say, no, thanks. I'm good. I'll swim. You know, I mean, it's a simple analogy, but it's sort of a thinking, okay, I know the water's freezing, and I know the chances of me surviving is zero. The chances of me surviving in the ocean is going to be zero if this happens, yet I'm going to say no thanks to the boat. And essentially, this is what Paul's talking about. He's saying, if you decide to turn on grace and live by the law and live by rules and try to earn grace, you will die. And in 5 and 6, he says, this is, it's not the law, but it's the Spirit we find our hope. It's the Spirit of God that dwells inside of us for in Christ. In verse 6, it is his faith through love. That's what matters most. And so Paul sort of establishes this baseline in the first six verses, I think, saying this is, this is the things we agree to. This is the things we understand. This is the things we know is that for in Christ Jesus, The only thing that counts in verse 6, as you see there, is faith expressing itself through love. And then he sort of turns to an application. He sort of turns to an understanding piece for us. And he sort of says in verse 7, what happened? You were running a good race. How how did something come in? How did something come in and change it? it, he, He even says, you know, who cut in on you? Who was it? Who was it that told you a lie? Who was it that came into your life and told you that there's a better way to live besides just grace? And we talked about this, you know, a couple weeks ago in the book of James. It says, you know, like the, the man who goes to the mirror and turns away and forgets what he looks like. How did you forget? And for the Galatian church, this was taking the form of legalism. You know, it's nothing new in the scriptures. You know, men and women had been turning to rules since forever. But in the Galatian church, they were having a real problem with this. And Christians and people were trying to come to faith, and they were saying, listen, I understand that you love Jesus, but before you can come to our church, before you can take communion, before you can be part of us, you have to live up to these certain rules. You have to be circumcised. You have to go to temple. You have to do this. You have to do this. And and Paul says no. One of my favorite Jesus moments, I have a lot of them, Usually it's when he rebukes people, just because I like that side of Jesus. But in, in Luke chapter 18, you can turn there if you like, in Luke 18, um, it's when Jesus talks about the little children. 
Sorry, yeah, Luke 18. It's Luke 18, verse 15 to 17. You can jot it down or you can turn there if you want. But This is what Paul is kind of getting at. In Luke 18, starting in verse 15, it says, People were bringing babies to Jesus for him to place his hands on them. And when the disciples saw this, they rebuked them. But Jesus called the little children to him and said, Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. For the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly, I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. (laughs) You know, these, these people were preaching legalism and rules and all of these things they had to measure up to when the very words of Jesus just said, hey, you need to come to Jesus as a child, relying on him for everything, trusting him with everything, knowing that he is the way, the truth, and the life. You know, never forget, church. I mean, it doesn't matter if you've been a Christian for a week or for 80, 90 years. We can never forget the beautiful simplicity of the cross. That even though Jesus, even though, you know, think of anyone, you know, think of Paul. Paul's a great example. He lived his first half of his life as a Pharisee, studying and studying the law and scripture and doing all he could to be the perfect Jew. And then when he came to Christ, he gave his very life as a missionary, right? We all look up to missionaries and think, oh, I wish I had that. I wish I had that gene in me. And, and he lived his life as a missionary. He was tortured. He was beaten for the name of Christ. And, and we look to these people and we see, wow, the Apostle Paul was so great. But the beautiful thing about the cross of Christ is he has the exact same standing as the thief on the cross who just said, hey, Jesus, remember me. That thief could do nothing, absolutely nothing. I always talk about this when people argue about baptism or argue about theology or argue about whatever, and they say, well, you have to. Yeah, okay, it's Jesus, but you also have to. What did the thief on the cross do? All he had to do was sit there and die. And Jesus said, hey, you get it. And I'm not taking away from study, and I'm not taking away from from effort and, and, and discipline, but what I am saying is that we cannot add anything to the cross of Christ because we cannot earn it. And this is exactly what Paul's talking about in verse 8 when he says the legalism, the leaven of the Pharisees, a little bit of that leaven, a little bit of yeast, ruins the whole thing of dough. So let me ask you tonight then, what is your legalism issue? Do you have one? Maybe maybe it's something you hold, a standard you hold other people to. Maybe it's baptism. Maybe it's a certain theology you just... At some point, your grace goes away and you just say, no, this is irrefutable. For many people, I know it's when politics have intermingled with their religion, right? And they say, I extend grace to so many people and I love so many people. But when it comes to this issue, I am unwilling and unyielding no matter what. Case closed. What's your legalism issue? This is interesting because for all of us, it's a little different. And, and what's amazing about this is, is, is we have to, the way God has sort of designed us, is that we have this issue. For some of us, it's based on an experience. Something happened to us, and we said, I never want anything bad to happen, or, or it was so negative we went entirely the other way, you know? Or, or for some of us, it's something we just don't struggle with, and so we've decided to be really strict about this one thing that's not a struggle for us so that we can feel better about it over those people who actually do struggle with it. You know, well, this isn't an issue for me, and it seems to me that scriptures are really clear on this, so I don't know why it's hard for you. 
right? You know, I don't struggle with drugs at all, and, and it's funny, I could, it'd be very easy for me to say, well, I just don't understand drug addiction because these, it seems to me that Christ says that the Spirit forgives, and why is that a problem for you? Well, it's not my issue. Believe me, I have my own. But for some, it, what's interesting about legalism is it can go the other way. It's not legalism, but it's actually the opposite. I've met some people who are so committed to theological openness and theological tolerance and, and, and they, they can't even land and say that Jesus Christ is Lord because, well, that might offend someone. And, and so it goes both ways. We, we, we have to know what Jesus taught. We have to know who he was and is because he is alive. You know, I'll share a quick story with you. Oftentimes we don't know these things are an issue until we're faced with them. Um, some of you know a little bit of how I got here to Zurich. Uh, I was unemployed for a while, uh, um, longer than I would like to admit. But in, the mean, in, in that time, I got a job at a, at a grocery store in the U.S. called Trader Joe's. And if you've been to the U.S. and you know what Trader Joe's is, it's the best. But it, and it's just not close. It's just the best store there is. Um, but one of the amazing things, I worked in an urban area in the center of a city. And, I, and we lived, Jenna and I lived in the city. I mean, it, it wasn't like we were out in the suburbs, we weren't exposed to these things. I always thought I was very open. I always thought I was very gracious and very loving. And for whatever reason, this store attracts a lot of sort of people that look different than us. Um, because they don't have a dress code. So there's a lot of people with tattoos and mohawks and, and people who live all sorts of lifestyles that are different than mine. Well, one of the things that came up with me, to make a very long story a little shorter, is that I didn't realize I had a lot of prejudices towards people who were either openly gay, transgender, or, or one of these different qualifications that were outside of the traditional view of what human sexuality is. And I always thought I'd be open to it, and I always thought I'd be gracious and loving until I started to get to know these people. And I'd start talking to him, and I'd realize, I'm having trouble talking to this person. Why is this so hard for me? I mean, I can talk to, I can talk to a, uh, someone who's like me really easily. Why is this so difficult for me? And the more I got to know some of these men and women, and the more I got to know some of these, these people and, and, and heard their stories and heard about who they were, I realized I have never taken the time to actually share the love and grace of Jesus Christ with someone really that different than me. And, I, and, I, and, and someone asked, and we, I just remember one example, we started talking about marriage, and we had four people all talking about marriage, and, and none of us could agree on what marriage was or the purpose of it, but we were all operating from four completely different foundations on even the purpose of marriage. And I realized, I have this block in my head thinking that everyone should just come to Jesus and instantaneously understand all of these things and grow up the same way I did. And I realized that I was nicer. I mean, this is true confession. I was nicer to straight people than I was to gay people initially. I was more friendly and more open with people who were like me rather than those who were different than me. And I worked at this store for over or just about a year. And by the end, I remember just praising God that God had taken me through this and exposed some of these things to me. This was a legalism issue that I didn't even know existed. I always thought, well, if someone different came in the doors of this church, I would love them and pray for them, and that would be great. But I don't know that I would have. And this is, this is what was happening in the church in Galatia. This is what still happens to the church around the world. 
And the Apostle Paul says to the church, you used to get it. You used to be 100% on board with grace. What happened? When did you stop living in the grace and the freedom of the truth? Where did the grace and the love go? He continues, though, and gives the church a good, encouraging word, starting in verse 10. He says, be confident because the Lord will win. (laughs) He says, listen, trust that the Lord will win out on this. And that the people telling lies about the legalism or about whatever it is you need to follow and obey, they will pay their penalty. So, not to make you scared, but this is also something that convicted me. If you are preaching legalism, if, you, if there's one issue that you just say, no, we have to, whatever it is, that if it's against the grace and the cross of Christ, that you too will be held accountable. So therefore, as a church, I think we should all be preaching grace. I think we should be praying for our Muslim brothers and sisters the same way we should pray for our Hindu brothers and sisters. We still claim that Jesus Christ is Lord of all, but we show grace and love to others. And then there's an issue I need to talk about real quick that some of you probably noticed in verse 11 and 12. The Apostle Paul gets a little weird. Um, (laughs) It's a little bit of an awkward passage. But he basically says, hey, here's the thing, is if if you think that circumcision is so great and you think that the law is so great, why don't you just go the whole way with it? Now, this is an uncomfortable thing. He basically just says, why not just go the whole way? And at first, I didn't. I really wanted to skip this, and I thought, well, I mean, here's what I'm going to do. I'm actually going to change it and, and, and just stop at verse 10, right? I'm not just going to keep going so we don't have to talk about this. But then I realized we probably should because it's in the Bible. Uh, so I, I want to give you two explanations for w- what I think Paul was saying here and then one important point that he was trying to make. The first was this, is that in the ancient world, among pagan priests, sexual and genital mutilation was actually common as a sign of devotion, that pagan priests would do this as a sign to say, I am so devoted to this pagan god that I have rid myself of all earthly desires. Um, And it's possible Paul was basically saying that those who practice and preach legalism were no better than pagans and those who worship pagan gods. Uh, A second explanation can be this, is that Paul was referencing Deuteronomy 23. In Deuteronomy 23, verse 1, it says that those who do this, those who those who practice self-mutilation are not fit for the assembly of God. And so in the Old Testament, he basically would have said anyone who did this sort of thing would be not fit to worship and to be in the tent of meeting in the assembly of God. And so basically what he's also then giving the Jews or giving the people who preach legalism a comparison, sort of using their own law as a point to say, hey, listen, you're missing the point. Whichever the two was, whatever the reason was Paul was referencing, we don't know. But we know that this is a really big deal to him. To make a statement like this, I mean, when Paul gets angry, there's usually a reason. Actually, there's always a reason for it. And and, and this is one of the things we have to remember, as I mentioned, that he knows the struggle of preaching legalism because he was raised under the law. He was raised under strict, harsh legalism. And, and, And so... Look at the rest, though, how he finishes up this passage, starting in verse 13. In verse 13, he says, Brothers and sisters, you're called to be free. And don't indulge, don't take grace and take advantage of it, but rather serve one another humbly. For the entire law, all of the rules are summed up in the command of loving one another. 
you know, we all have a place in life where our grace stops and our grace runs out. You know, it could be circumstantial. It could be with a certain family member. It could be with a certain one person where we just aren't very gracious. But remember, when we're being legalistic, when we're clinging too tightly to rules or righteousness, this, this life we live is a marathon. It's not a sprint. It takes time. It takes relationships. It takes getting to know one another, getting invested in people who are different than us, that we can reveal our own prejudices, that we can reveal the things that we're really legalistic about. But here today in the, in, in the modern world, we've sort of become, and here I want to tie it into our life today, we've sort of become slaves to instant gratification. You know, we're very much into this idea of being a slave to the moment and having a strong, hard, fast opinion here and now about things. And if you think about this issue back in, you know, way back when about legalism, now applying it to itself, and what Paul says in verse 15, that if we bite and devour each other, we'll be destroyed by each other. Now, I honestly think we're destroying each other. I think we're being so judgmental and so critical and trying to fit every single person into some sort of political, religious, cultural box that we are devouring each other. Whether it's social media, whether it's just people with loud, obnoxious opinions. You know, they say that as Christians, if we say to anyone else that we don't believe in what they're believing, that we're intolerant. If we don't accept all lifestyles, that we're intolerant. And likewise, the church then will go back and say, well, if anyone is not directly committed to our theology the way we say it, they are wrong. We're slaves to the moment, and we, we, we put so much stock in having to know all the right answers when the Apostle Paul and Christ both preach, just come to the cross. Learn, grow, change. It's going to change. How many of you have the same theology you had five years ago? How many of you have the same understanding you had ten years ago? These things grow. This life is a marathon, not a sprint. But yet, instead of listening to one another and growing together and living in love together, the world is devouring each other. So this is when I want to ask you, who are you listening to? You know, the Apostle Paul says, who, who cut in on you? What happened? How did this change? Today in the church calendar is, is Christ the King Sunday. Because Christ the King is the one who called us. Christ the King is the one who pulled us out of the pit. Christ the King is the one who gave his life on the cross so that we didn't have to deal with all the junk, but that we could love and give grace and give mercy. Don't listen to liars and fools and people who tell you Jesus and. Well, it's Jesus and this church. It's Jesus and this book. It's Jesus and this way to worship. It's Jesus. No, it's not Jesus and anything else. It is just Jesus. Because the reason is, and this is why I think Paul was so passionate and so angry about this, is you know what the law does? You know what legalism does? Is it creates something inside of us that God never intended. And it is an awful, awful word called shame. Because when there is legalism and when there is rules and when there is law, when we don't measure up to it, what do we feel? There's something not right inside of me. 
And instead of saying that we are made in the image of God and that God has created us and we are his sons and daughters, we instead go to church or we instead go and worship and we feel that something is wrong and broken inside of us. And instead of then going to the church to receive grace and love, we run further away because that legalism has just made a cycle of shame. And every time we go, we just feel bad about ourselves. It's just not true. The reason Paul gets so mad and makes this really weird phrase is because he does not want people to feel the shame he felt growing up whenever he was faced with the law. I remember as a young man, and maybe it's because I wasn't listening good enough. I don't want to blame my youth pastor. But I remember as a young man hating going to youth group because I always left feeling like there's something wrong with me. Now, some of that was guilt, by the way. Guilt is good because guilt tells you when you've done something wrong. That's fine. But shame doesn't say I've done something wrong. Shame says there's something wrong with me. And that is not okay. And that is a lie. And that is not from Jesus Christ. You know, this week, I'll finish with this. I was talking to some non-Christian friends I have here in Zurich, and inevitably, the, the conversation of religion comes up. I'm the only Christian there. And, and they asked me sort of, hey, so do you just teach this stuff, or do you actually believe it? You know, are you just like a theology teacher, or do you actually believe this stuff? And I'm going to be really honest with you. I hesitated because I didn't want to get into this conversation. Um, but I said, you know what, Lord, uh, uh, let's just, let's see how it goes. Keep in mind, by the way, English is their second language too, and so it, it was fun. But we talked and we talked and, 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 it, and it came up and something struck me. That the reason so many people push back is because they felt the shame of legalism in their life. I talked to a young man who grew up Catholic and he said, I just can't ever do it. And the reason wasn't because of God. How can you say no to love? How can you say no to grace? How can you say no to mercy? The reason was because he's associated this legalism and this shame with the church. And people have said, and and, and they asked me, you know, what do you do? I said, well, I'm a youth, and and, and I work in this evening service and a lot of expats and everything. And he says, and one of the first things they asked me, one of the very first things, not about Jesus, not about theology, is they say, So do you tell people not to have sex before they're married? Why is that? Because they have always been told that this is the one hard, fast rule that Jesus cares about more than anything else, and if they do it, there's something wrong with them. And shame has entered their heart, and shame has taken root. People rebel against rules and legalism, not love. And the world, unfortunately, has not felt love from the church, but shame. And we've done it not just to outsiders, but even to our own. We've done it to our own who have made mistakes and who come to the church for grace and for mercy and forgiveness, and we have given them guilt and shame. And so, let me just say this. If you are a new Christian, my prayer is that you would rest in grace is that you would never go down this spiral of legalism and you would always trust in Jesus like the first day you met him, like that first day you signed up to be a Christian and you said, yes, I get it. And to the mature believer, to those of us who have been Christians a little bit longer, let me just say this, be weary of legalism. Don't let it take hold of your life. Don't look down your nose at people who are different. 
Don't be glad when someone else is suffering just because they're different than you. You know, we just sang a song that's saying, break my heart for what breaks yours. Don't rest on your own knowledge and ability and accomplishments, but ask God every day, break my heart for what breaks yours. You know, Romans 12, by the way, if you've never read Romans, just, Romans is so good. But Romans 12, which is, Romans 12 and Romans 8 are the two best ones in my opinion. But Romans 12, it says, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, do not think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. We have been given such a good gift. And to take that and turn it into legalism is to say to the grace of the cross, I don't need you. I'm good. It's to say to that lifeboat, no thanks, I'm going to go ahead and jump in the icy water and die. God has given us all he needs. All we need, excuse me. The Galatian church was running well. Something happened. I I, I don't want to be a church. I don't want to be a group of people who was running well and then something happened and all of a sudden we look back and say, what happened? How how did this change? I want it to be a church where it doesn't matter who comes in those doors. It doesn't matter what background. It doesn't matter what sin. It doesn't matter what struggle. I want it to be a church where people walk in and they're free, free from guilt and shame and pain of their past, free to love and free to, free to give and free to invite more of their friends so that there's more grace and more love. And instead of that spiral of shame that leads people to run away from the church, it becomes a spiral of love and grace and mercy that just sucks everyone into it and they can't get out of it. You guys pray with me? Lord, I confess my sins to you here and now. I confess my legalism. I confess my blindedness. I confess that there are times, Lord, I am not accepting of those different than myself. I confess that I have favorites. I have dislikes among your children and your people. And Lord, we all ask your forgiveness. And Lord, we accept it. Lord, break our heart for what breaks yours. Give us grace and love, not judgment and knowledge. And Lord, we know that with grace and love comes wisdom and discernment and knowledge that honors and glorifies you, not ourselves. Lord, thank you. Lord, I thank you that that you came and you saved us, that you sought us out, that you brought us out of the pit, that you made us clean that you made us white as snow. Let our response then to this world be love. Lord, we pray all these things in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.